Love the commas. Love the apostrophes. Love the colons and the question marks. Love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita. No, no, Lita. We don't know each other's pain, do we? How can we? We can only imagine. But is this how we feel it? Do we envisage pain and get lost in it? Have I imagined this? It can't be as bad as you're making it out to be. Making it out. How I express it. This is real. I'm not making it up, it's happening. Deep inside, in the depths of me. Sometimes, I wish I could send a deep-sea diving squad down there to sway through the mess and tell me what they saw, what they encountered within. It happens day to day, hour to hour sometimes. That dull low ache signals it's coming. My ovaries make themselves known on either side, like a foghorn building in volume, or a light shining from the shore warning boats that they are near land in the darkness of night. A fisherman's lamp, the heat slightly burns my insides. My tummy heavy yet empty, pull up a bucket, I may be sick. There can be waves that build and build and build. And when the floodgates open, they crash against my abdomen. My core feels like it's imploding, crushed like a can, Sharp pain rising to the forefront. You ain't going nowhere. Other times, sharp jabs, stabs, sparks of crippling pain. Electrical currents. It has you doubled over. Unable to move. Salty tears down your face. But your seeds of doubt force me to ask, am I in my own head, imagining... Severe and sporadic, it takes your breath away, swooping, sudden and harsh. They are there. Those feelings grip you and you must witness them. You are in it, fully submerged, and there are no distractions. The only relief, to be a ball. To curl oneself into a fetal position, to be lost in limbs, no end or beginning, just circular. To pull inwards, to go within, to go with it. Not wanting to be long and stretched, but to bend and protect the centre. Clutching onto those shins of yours, wrapping your arms around the knees, hugging your body as it experiences pain like no other. Deep inside. Coming and going every few minutes. You are drowning at the pit of your stomach, fighting for air. 
Moments of relief are hard to come by. The swell takes you round and around like a whirlpool. The stomach becomes hard. Everything inside fighting for space as if you've drastically changed. Honey, I shrunk my uterus. Honey, I blew up my bladder. Everyone laughs. No one is listening. I cry when I need to go to the toilet. I've screamed with the pain of urinating. A sharp burning deep in my buttocks, a red hot poker. It then radiates down the back of my leg. Pooping knives is my magic trick. Every area being pressed on. Squeezed, condensed down. I'm tearing in half here. Open me up, break me. There is a shark ravishing my insides. Is this not a good thing? A way of letting you know. Please send for help. The RNLI, a message in a bottle. I've been treading water for years. Sandpaper. Rubbed inside my vaginal walls. My insides wrapped in barbed wire, twisted and set to burn like a bonfire. They can't see me over the flames. I call out, but I am deep within a cave. I've imagined these biases, this pain. Or have I? An honour meant to be celebrated. My womb brings me gifts, and in return I smear blood across my face like a Filipino warrior preventing breakouts. Those healing powers are feared. The river turns red. I would bathe in you. Summer, spring, autumn, winter, our cycle goes through seasons. A flower dance for female strength in the Hubba tribe, healing the impacts of historical trauma. Deep in the Amazon rainforest, alone in a house with one visitor, your grandmother to teach you the ways of womanhood. Rituals, dances and feasts. The offer of hundred animals as a sign of respect. Influential enough to restore balance in the world. Honour not only your first period, but every cycle, just as our mothers and grandmothers have done so before us. Back in the day, I hated my periods. I saw them as an inconvenience. I knew very little about what they did for us as women, apart from enabling us to have children, of course. (coughs) Funny that, isn't it? How our education completely breezes over the fact that imbalances in your hormones can really mess you up. Why are you here now? I would say as I stomped over to the bathroom, scrambling around for my menstrual cup. Shoving my armour in and irritably throwing the collected blood down the toilet at the end of the day. Ugh, when are you leaving? I took you for granted. Water bottles, chocolate, mood swings, this all came with it. I wanted to cry one minute and punch my manager in the face the next minute. I couldn't wait to get rid of them. At the age of 38, I had my second child, and my period never came back. Like an old car, I tried the keys, but my engine had stopped working. I was stagnant. The doctor asked me if I wanted to go on hormone replacement therapy, but at the time, they were saying lots of bad things about it, making cancer more likely, so I said no. The hot flushes... I learned to sit calmly and wait for them to pass. It's like being cooked from the inside, stuck in a microwave and it's getting hotter and hotter. I've never felt more like a lobster, honestly, boiling away in the pan. I tried to ignore it, 
and stay calm. Otherwise, I would just sweat even more from the anxiety. My hands were tied, the cards had been dealt, I just had to get through it. The night sweats were more of a hindrance because they impacted on sleep. I felt like I was transitioning into a werewolf. I became hairier and I was still howling at my manager. Whenever I got a moment's peace, I dreamt of running wild in my youth. It never lasted long. I would wake dripping, lying in sodden sheets. My body panicked, not knowing what to do, how to deal with this loss. As you go through it, your thoughts and fears change. I feel the symptoms of the menopause all the time. And now that I'm getting older, I worry about thinning skin, memory loss, my bone density. I lost my waist in my 30s, not my 50s. And there's not a thing I can do about it. Sometimes I feel resentful that I have the body of an older person. I know it sounds vain, but it's part of who you are. Maybe I am old. I feel old. It's not much fun, so the more you talk about it, the better. I would have bad period pains over this any day. Written by Charlotte Carrick Audio edited by Holly Early Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs and the antecedents, love the words. From ELFM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on Eastfield FM and... Today we're talking to the poet Ella Sanderson. Hello, Ella. Hello. So, Ella, first of all, you've had some real successes recently in terms of of, of being on BBC Radio. So tell us a bit about what you've been doing. Well, I was I was just on BBC Sounds. Oh, I'm sl- I should say I'm still on BBC Sounds at the moment. I was on BBC Radio 6 Music with Hugh Stevens. And he uh, played an audio that I'd created with, um, on a program called New Creatives. And I made the audio, um, with Eloise Whitmore and Fiona Inwood Allen. And basically, what we did was we recorded my poems in the studio in lockdown in Manchester, mm. and we also came to my garden. And they recorded birdsong in my garden, and they recorded me speaking in my garden. And before all that, I wrote some poems, or I had some poems I already written, and me and Fiona um, edited those poems and made them perfect and made them to the point that they are today. And so, yeah, 
Um, it was a really good experience to it's a talent development scheme, so basically any poet who needed their poetry improving a little bit could go on it. And it was a really good experience, and I really loved how Eloise could put in the background lots and lots of um, sounds, just, just, just like a Spurgeon sound. I've never heard a Spurgeon sound before, but washing machine brain um, was like a Spurgeon, a Spurgeon sound, so she's very clever to do that. So yeah, and um, when I heard it on the BBC, I, I was really um, crying and emotional, so yeah, big deal for me. So uh, first of all, yeah, maybe you could read us uh, a, a poem of yours. Um, to start okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll read one of the poems that is actually in the audio work. So, this is about um, Asperger's and how we're still part of society and we're something rubbed out and things like that. Why are different? Asperger's is not a wrong mark on a page, so don't rub us out. Overwhelmed by society created for us, around us, we're not drowning. We're drowning, but not dead yet. Surviving, we must rise, in a rainbow, spectrum. Each colour is different, but similar. Like indigo and violet, yellow and orange. It's unique and have their own pigments. So don't try and lump us into one. Brands are all with the same work. Our brains are wired different. We don't fit your box. We feel like an outsider and intruder, but we shouldn't be. Don't push us down and say not now. Don't mute our pauses. Instead, press play and give us a voice. Lovely, thanks, Ella. Now you identify as a high-functioning Asperger's poet. So, I mean, how important yes. is it is it for you to to talk about that in your poetry? You do, you do seem to. It's obviously something that's really important to you to voice. Well, I struggle with like chit chat, like talking to somebody face to face. So poetry is the way I can get what I want to say out. Um, I think for lots of people on the spectrum, poetry would be a really good way to get what they what they can't say in a conversation out. So I would encourage people who are on the spectrum to try to try writing and see see if it is for them because that would be a good way they can get their words out. And also, I think at the moment, um, with things like the Spectrum Ten K, where they're trying to like where they're trying to like um you know, find out about autism and learn about autism and uh, analyse us to study us in, in a lab. Um, it's a very good time now to be promoting autism and promoting what it is and promoting how we don't want to we, we don't want things like that and how we, how, how we want to be treated and how we should be treated and like, also promoting about how, what it is like for people with autism, how we are treated and that side to know like, we want it to change and how also how hard it is for us but also there's hope and hopefully for my poetry I can help people with Asperger's who not give up, but also people who are neurotypical to understand about autism and understand a bit more about what it's like for us, because we are not really understood always. Absolutely. And do you feel part of a community of writers and poets who uh, identify as being on the autism spectrum? Yeah. I On my Twitter, I have a lot of people who follow me and I follow them who um, have autism. Um, so yeah, I think on Twitter I do. but. Other than that, not really. But on Twitter, I think I have a, a quite a good platform that pe people who are autistic or have autism, um, and I also have people who are not who know who who are not on the spectrum who follow me. And also, I was an Euclidean, I was an Euclidean writers, and I have friends from that. So I have a platform of writers and creative people who are not autistic who don't have autism, and I have platform people who do. So yeah, it's a mixture. Great. Um, you've, you've you've talked a bit of there about. Um about Ilkley Young Writers. Uh, yeah, tell us how you, you found Ilkley Young Writers and the kind of impact that that has had on your creative life. Well, when I was a teenager, like about 12 or 13, I was in a, a band at the Ollicott House and Rachel Felberg, um, who was used to be the director of Ilkley Festival, Ilkley Festival, she was involved with the band and she, she, no, no, she noticed that I was really into writing. I used to rewrite different chip stories and things. She, Noticed all that and said, "I've I've no group that I help run that um you know you might you might really like." So when I stopped doing the club that I was doing on the day that it was on, I tried it and um thanks to Michelle Scarlett Clark and Becky Cherryman, I am now really into poetry and I've gone down that avenue. Um, but without them, I would never have gone down that avenue because I would never have decided. I never known about poetry really. Well, I knew about it, but I didn't, I didn't know that it was something that I could write myself. Um, so yeah, thanks to them. Um, them three really. I yeah. I, I now know nine to poetry and I'm getting paid for it, so it's great. 
Uh, yes, Michelle Scully Clark in Beckley Terrible have done a fantastic job with with Ilkley young writers. And, yeah, do you think it's important for for, for young people to, to to have that kind of support, or it's hard, isn't it, to do it on your own, maybe? Um, I think it was good. Now there is Simon Maria and Michelle, I think, who run, who run the Ilkley one. I can't think make a step down, but yeah, it's really good to join that club if you can, join them too, um, and give it a go because. Or any club in your area that, that that's a writing club for young teenagers because um, it was a place where I could go where I didn't feel different. I felt like I fit in and that I wasn't made to feel like oh you're the kid without Asperger's. And also I think just writing generally, um, you you need that spot to start because some teenagers don't know they've got a talent. You know I didn't know I had a talent of writing poetry until they um, helped me get out like, get it out of me. So yeah, I think the club's good for. Um, people who feel different and feel like one place, one place they can fit in but also it's good to go to a writing club to help you start your journey because you may not know that you're even on that journey you know, you know, that journey, but you don't even know you have that talent you don't even know you've got a journey to take you know, um, so yeah So and let's hear another poem if you will Okay um, This other one this second poem, sorry, was in the audio work too, it's about how at some jobs that I've had, I've been treated really badly like yeah, not as intuitive as respect, and I'm just like, oh yeah, they're just like, oh yeah, you have Asperger's, put in the website, but actually not thinking about spotting me, you know, so. Disability at work. You have Asperger's. Just put you on our website. To boost their ego. To make them think it's really conscious when in fact they're not. To push you down. To the bottom. Of the pile. The pile of disabilities that sit and guard dust in the corner. Like tins of sky to paint. Different? What is that? Fall into place. Into line. So much paint on a canvas. I blur. Thank you. Thanks, Ella. How, how important is it for you to do live gigs? Um, very important because I tried to get published, like in the print, and like in my own pamphlet, and people don't really want to take it. So I think that. It's really important, like I said, because I'm better in, in spoken word. Um, I, uh, spoken word's more me. Um, and, I tr- and in lockdown, we did do things in um, on Zoom and stuff. And that was fine, but like like, um, like I was quoted in an article that I was in, what was in um, my parents, like, you know, they didn't really always come and watch the ones that were on Zoom. And so it's really nice to, to go to like, Chapel FM, when I went on Chapel FM to do... Um, ta- the talent show and seek often that the talent show, the talent show. Sorry, seek I've got talent. Um, like it was really nice that my parents could come and support me with that, and like cheer me on. My boyfriend even came. So, it, yeah. And when you do live events, um, more people can support me. Um, maybe it's like live in person. How that makes sense? Oh, absolutely. Yes. No, and it must have been hard for you over the last year or so. Yeah, it was. It was fine in lockdown. Like I could still perform. But it's just better when you can go to like things like talent show um, at Chapel FM because then family and friends can come and it's more an event, you know, rather than sitting in your room. Okay, my final poem is not on the audio on BBC Sounds, but I wrote it after a conversation with my older brother Daniel. Um, we were chatting about my Spurges and about, you know, and what it's like for me and how he was like, worried about me because um, I was melting down a lot on things and it's just, a con- it's just after the conversation that we had. Breathe. I have Asperger's, not an illness you see. I'm just struggling to fit into society and breathe. I into a box where I have no key. McDonald's are unfortunately a reality. Tactics I have, but a pill I do not. I'm trying to run, but I'm feeling very hot. Change by the rules, I need to conform. People say, I'm not the norm. I just have Asperger's, not an illness you see. Struggling to fit into society and breathe. Thank you. I am creating a new website at the moment that will be out soon because um, my old one's going to go down. So I'm creating a new website, so I'm excited about that. Um, but my Twitter is at ellisanderson18, capital E, capital S. And on there is a lot about a lot of my work and things that I've done. And you'll find links to like all my um, BBC um, audio piece. But yeah, I have a new website soon that I'm excited about. So that's me. Thank you. Thanks ever so much, Sarah. Thanks for talking to us. And best of luck with the, with your work, and we really hope to see you at Chapel FM sometime soon. Yeah, I love Chapel FM. <laughs> oh, great. Cheers, then. All the best, Ella.
Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Well, thanks so much to Ellis Anderson, the poet, and before that to Charlotte Carrick and Holly Early for Womb Stories, which was first broadcast as part of Writing on Air this year. Ella's new website is ellasandy16.wixsite.com slash aspie. Uh, that's ellasandy, S-A-N-D-Y 16, all one word, dot wixsite, W-I-X, S-I-T-E dot com slash Aspie, A-S-P-I-E. Do check it out. Finally, on Love the Words this time, we have an interview with the writer and illustrator, Jamie Scrutton. Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. You're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. And in Studio One, I have with me the artist and writer and animator, Jamie Scrutton. Hello, Jamie. Hello, how are you? Yeah, very well. Yeah. Very nice to have you here. No, it's lovely to be here. Have, so, you, yeah. have you been to Chapel FM before? Uh, yeah, it was back in 2018. So um, when I just ventured into the building, now everything just completely changed. So it's, it's a beautiful interior that you've got and refurbishment. Well, thank you very yeah. much. We, we we like it, especially the new the new bits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we like <laughs> the old bits too. Um, but Jamie, you've got a new book out and we'll talk about it at length. It's a really beautiful looking thing. I, I can assure you, listener, you can't see it from uh, where you are, but you have to imagine it. But it's uh, it's a really lovely looking uh, sort of combination of, of words and graphics. And tell us a bit about that first of all, Jamie, about about the book and the title of it, how you how you came to write it. Yeah, so the book is um, an accumulation of my processes as, as an artist, and I briefly, <clears throat> in some of my work, my animations, because I'm an animator and poet, um, I write humorous verses, but some of them humorous verses and animations has a serious undertone to the subject, which is depicting mental health. Mm. Um, so this book is really um, a kind of a source of into my animated imagination and my bizarre characters and um, my experiences with mental health, which I tie into my work and which I go into great detail in this book. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a book which I've been wanting to produce for quite a length of time now. But I just thought I was a little bit too young to uh, do it. Um but because of the experiences that I've been through, um, such as manic, debilitating episodes through mental health, um, I just thought, why not kind of uh, describe my experiences in a book as well as incorporating in it with my work? And um, it's actually um, all concised through entries from my journals. So, uh, I was yeah. going to say yes. I had a look at it, and it's very much in journal form, and, yeah. and actually over the last year. So, is it a kind of? I know this is a very uh, a bit of a cliche now to say, but it, but to ask, but it, it, is it a lockdown project as such? Yeah, I, I well, yeah, I commenced work on it in November last year. Um, so everything was written for me. Um, it was all there in print, in journals, and my animations, etc. And when we went into the final lockdown in November, I just thought I need something to kind of 
relay my energy onto something because I wasn't really doing anything and everything just stopped. Um, so I just commenced work on this book. And if anything's taught me anything throughout last year, um, is not to plan and just do. So, yeah, because you don't know when your life expectancy is. So, um, if I'm thankful for the final lockdown, it's for kicking myself up the backside and doing this book. That's really interesting. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, yes, it's it seems to have had that effect, that kind of galvanising effect on... Mm. On, on many of us actually, uh, and it, but it's it's still it's still a, an act of faith really. I think in any circumstances to bring uh, out of personal sort of trust in your own voice really as an artist yeah. to bring out a book. And I mean, you brought out a considerable book there. It's it's big, it's bold, and yeah, that takes that that must have felt like a big step. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, um, like I say, it was all written through journals, and I would just selecting different entries but it was um it was like an arduous process to do because you know it was like the sophie choicer kind of process where you've got to just select certain things you can't kind of if i were to print it all it'd have been about a thousand pages so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah is journal making something that you find useful yeah yeah it helps me a lot um I'm a very observational person as well. Um, I like to sit and ob- observe and and then depict it into my own material. Mm. Um, so, yeah, ju- I mean, in this book, it's not just about my me as an artist, etc. It's about, I talk about other people and who, and the people that I meet along the way. Um, there's loads of entries in this book um, about my experiences at various open mics, up and down the UK and the characters and the bizarre people that I've come in contact with. So it's um, it's a book about everyone, really, and that's what I want to do. I like to bring different artists and people and sources into it and just make it a read that's relatable. Fantastic. So let's track back a bit. I mean, are you f- are you from Leeds or are you from somewhere else? Where where, where do you originally come from? Uh, Batley. From Batley. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so you've you've grown up in this area. You, how did you get started in the uh, you know writing? How what came first, the words or the images? Uh, the words. Um, I think I think it was accumulation of both, but definitely the words. Um, in the book, I talk about. Um, I mean. God bless her now, but my great-grandma who passed, um, she used to live in up in uh, Thornhill Edge, which is Upper Dewsbury, and we always used to call her Taxi Grandma because we used to get a taxi up to us every Sunday, so a bit of a humorous name there. Mm-hmm. And she had this, like, what I like to call it, a magic um, bookcase of various other books, ranging from Catherine Cookson to Daphne du Maurier, Dickens Austin, and I used to borrow those books, take them home, and then return them when I've um, when I finished reading them. And I were only around about five or six, so I was reading Great Expectations at, <laughs> at a young age, and um, and that's where my influence and inspiration of writing came from. Um, well, that's great. And yeah. and did you started writing. Did you start writing for yourself, or did you write for? You know, did you send off to magazines or journals or? or in school how did, how, did, how did you feel how did you get your confidence to carry on with it because some people start and then yeah. they, they don't carry on and it's a sort of crucial moment I think sometimes in people's teens yeah, yeah. where they go yeah I'd rather do something else now but you carried on yeah yeah I carried on so um, I was by the age of 11, 12 I was sending off to publications um, I didn't really have any experience or expertise in directly approaching a publisher and at a young age and coming from a working class background we weren't really um you know we weren't really people in showbiz so I didn't know about agents etc and I was just directly sending them to um these publications these unsolicited manuscripts and um yeah so base I've just been trying to enthrall and push my work since a young age and mm-hmm. I've never really stopped, really, um, but I've always had my hands in different pies. Like I say, I'll go through um, a phase when I'm writing, and then 
I'll kind of bench that and then I'll go on to an animation. Then I'll bench that and then I'll kind of bring my other personality um, to the sea, which is thrill-seeking. I'm an adrenaline junkie, which I talk about in here, so um, I can't really stick to one thing and, yeah, so... I'm intrigued. <laughs> Wait, how, how do you get these thrills? These, as if you're a thrill seeker. Uh, yeah, twelve year old. Um, I started my thrill seeking. Um, my dad took me on a, <clears throat> which was the tallest roller coaster in the world at the time in Blackpool, and rest is history. So, um, mm. kind of bring my poetry, um, well, my roller coaster, my thrill seeking into my poetry. So, it's like I wrote a poem called "The Day My Grand Rode a Roller Coaster." And um, it's my dream to get my grandma on it, but that'll never happen. <laughs> is, that, is that a taxi grandma or a different one? No, it's um, oh. another grandma. Um, she's still alive now. Um, so yeah. Oh, so. Brilliant. And you've mentioned so. your your struggles with mental health. I mean, has writing and you know drawing, uh, art have uh, have have you used that in terms of, yeah, for your own good in that sense and well being. Uh, yeah, um, like I say, um, humorous first, I like to call them whimsical anecdotes. Um, I like to take a kind of a serious subject and then mm. write it into a humorous piece, you know, to shed a little light on what is a an oppressive subject. Mm. And it helps me as well, it helps me see the lighter side, so I'm not just sat there and um, are going through these debilitating episodes. Um but yeah, like I mean, I've I've worked with poets and artists who's um, come to me and asked if I could if they, if I could commission an, an animation for them, um, talking about their personal experiences, mental health. Mm. So that kind of juxtaposition and bouncing from myself to another artist, it, it does really help, and mm. you know, to get into the mindset of yeah their experiences as well as your own experiences so well that sounds it sounds so from what you said that you know your work is inward but also outward facing in yeah. terms of you talked about observing the world and people you've met along the way and also you know interpreting the work of other people the, 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 the states the mind states the, yeah. the perceptions of other people um perhaps you could read something from uh, from 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 the book yeah <laughs> what do you want first the poem or let's go for a poem, <laughs> poem. I'll do one at the top of my head, off top of my head at the minute. Cause oh, you're one of these clever people who can do that. <laughs> I can't remember it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start off with a poem titled Man Bun. And it's about a middle-aged man wanting to grow a man bun to set him with the modern trend, but his wife disapproves. I want to grow a man bun. I want to get with the groove. But the only predicament I have is that my wife doesn't approve. Yes, I'm a middle-aged fella, and I've developed this sudden phase. I want to fit in with the modern society and get with the craze. My wife reckons it would look horrendous, but how the hell does she know? If she won't let me experiment with my style and let the damn thing grow. My roots are in adequate good condition. I've got a brilliant head of hair. I don't want to sit at home with a shaven scalp. It's a trend that I cannot bear. I'm prepared for my new appearance. I'm stored up with my lacquer and gel. But my wife is still against the idea. It's going to make her life hell. Oh yes, darling, I want to grow a man bun. I want to get with the groove. But that will never be the conclusion. Because my wife doesn't approve. Thank you very much. Excellent. Oh, that, that, has, <laughs> that has amused me greatly. And as a middle-aged man, I wish I could grow a man bun, but I haven't actually... <laughs> I'm incapable of doing so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. That's great. So, what? yeah, read us something else, then, that's in yeah. contrast to that from your book. Contrast? Let me have a little flick. Do you want something about my mental health? Or Whatever you like, yeah, something that's like of a, a different flavour. It's a shame we yes. can't show the radio listener some pages of the book because some great illustrations in there. Yeah. But, yeah, anything you've got that contrasts with the poem. Yeah, um, so this is from a chapter called The Uninvited. Um, it's a ven very vulnerable section. Um, I actually 
um, recited this um, for social media, so I'm not as um, kind of apprehensive inside to share. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about my mental health and debilitating episodes that I experience. And um, I suffer from a um, condition called intrusive thoughts. I don't know if you've heard, heard of, of intrusive thoughts. Yes. It's, it's, if no one knows what intrusive thoughts are, they are completely fabricated, made up scenarios and thoughts in the head. Um, which at a height of a manic episode um, feels very real and very scary and it's the underlining um, root of anxiety and I started experiencing these when I was around 16. Um, I remember um, when I first had these unwanted intrusions in my head it was um, at the time because I weren't really educated into what it was it was just it was a really really apprehensive time for me um so i'll read you a little bit about um when i first became aware of this and this is from a chapter called the uninvited i first became aware of my mental health struggles when i was just 16 years of age it happened in december 2005 when I was an art student at the Batley Art and Design College. I had crippling thoughts that convinced me that I was an abuser. At the time, I had no idea what intrusive thoughts were, but when these occurred, it made me socially distant from my surroundings and detached me from understanding what was a true sense of reality. I was in afraid of my surroundings being an imminent trigger to intrusive thoughts. Around this time, I had a further thought that I was becoming a murderer, threatening me with disillusionment and animosity. This stemmed from watching a TV programme based on the infamous murderers of the 1970s and 80s. I was in college the following day, and this anxiety spontaneously seeped into my thinking, which was extremely distressing. When I was around 17 years of age, I was suffocated with a gruelling concept that I was going to smother my mum with a pillow. The reality was that I knew this was completely fabricated and that I wasn't capable of doing that. I was anguished with distress and agitation and couldn't understand the reasoning to this fear. This thought did eventually disappear naturally. A couple of weeks after graduating from De Montfort University in Leicester, I developed irrational thoughts about my mum again. The horror was centred around the delusion that I was going to violently wound her with a knife. I didn't speak anything of this because it was never going to happen. Again, these thoughts disappeared over the course of a few weeks and I didn't have any experience of these thoughts again. And then I go on to the next page about um, in 2012 when um, the these thoughts came back and I, um, I went out to self-sabotage myself. And um, I won't really go much into that because I want people to. Um, well, I don't want. I don't want it to be a trigger. And um, but yeah, I did something stupid, and um, I was um, admitted to hospital. And this is from what happened, and the aftermath of that. I was a hairpiece away from death and needed immediate medical help. Initially, the medical professionals were considered eradicating the antifreeze by pumping vodka into my blood, but it didn't come to this. I spent a whole gruelling week being medically treated by the brilliant NHS team in a high-dependency ward based at Staincliffe Hospital. The medics guessed that my survival rate was borderline during the first few days of being admitted. The hospital never had an incident concerning antifreeze poisoning, so the only answer was to contact the Royal Hallamshire Hospital based in Sheffield for immediate medical advice. I just cannot thank the NHS enough for their unwavering support. Still naive at the time, I didn't entirely comprehend the jeopardy I had put myself or my family in. I remember the hospital being a safe haven for me, as I felt protected from my intrusive thoughts 
and any other peril which came with this. Two days prior to my discharge, I glanced out of the hospital window, witnessing the foggy scene of the car park, and feeling once again threatened by the menacing triggers of the outside world. Upon hearing that I had to stay an extra night for my blood levels to stabilise, it was a relief and I felt safe again. The following morning, after I was discharged, I had my first of many home treatment sessions with Emma, a brilliant psychiatrist who provided me with a better understanding of my own psychosis. Another young woman also came along with Emma as a nurse on work placement. She gave me an explanation, in a form of a professional perspective, what the term intrusive thoughts meant as opposed to what I had previously learned in an online forum. She also booked me in for an appointment at the priestly unit based at the hospital for a pre-CBT assessment on my delirium. This assessment did heal me to the extent that it helped me to cope and strengthen my stamina in battling with my demons. The professional who explained in great detail of my recent manic episode spoke of a man who was experiencing the same thing as what I had. He was 99.9% .9 cured after an extensive recovery programme. A daily dose of fluxetine and diazepam elevated my mood, although the trepidation did seep back in. I won't go back, but yeah, there's there's a lot more um, experiences that. No, Jamie, thank thanks, but thanks very much indeed. Don't no, have time you. for more. We don't, but that would be good. Thank you so much for reading from that, mm. uh, from that passage. And um, again, the book. Tell us what the book is called and how we can get hold of it. Yeah, yeah. So the book is called "The Devil Makes Work for Creative Hands" um, by me, Jamie H. Scrutton, and you can get hold of it on um, Amazon. Um, online, Waterstones, Barnes and Noble, and any of the big online retailers. Fantastic, and and it's obviously as we've talked about, it's journal entries and it's yeah. it's it's autobiography. It's also um, poems that obviously are much mm. lighter, like Man Bun, yeah. uh, the one about <laughs> your grandma's losing a nick. What's that? Losing a knickers on the. Uh, Losing something on the big on the big top or on the fair in the fairground. I saw that. Yeah, uh, losing a teeth. <laughs> oh, losing a teeth. <laughs> Could well, lose a knickers. Well, <laughs> knickers and teeth. Um, and uh, the illustrations as well, I mean, are, are, are really, really interesting and up, are all the way through the book. So thanks ever so much for coming on, Jamie. You'd, you'd chosen a piece of music. Tell mm -hmm. us about that music. Uh, yeah, so um, she's the first artist that I ever came to light when I was six year old. And um, she influences me as an artist and a writer um, even though our material is completely different and today I've chosen Alanis Morissette with Ironic Great uh, and uh, we'll hear that in just a moment before before we go actually do you still read uh, Dickens and Jane Austen? Yeah I do yeah yeah um, my big my favourite heroine is Miss Havisham oh, um, yeah, I remember yeah. portraying her in um, one of my uh, fine art um, projects back in 2010 which is also in the book, so uh, yeah, yeah, I love anything from that bygone era. So uh, yeah, Grandma's influence was obviously really strong. Yeah, definitely. She was very theatrical, and I like to feel that. So great, thanks, Jamie. No, thank you very much. was free. 
on your cigarette break It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife It's meeting the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife And isn't it ironic? Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs and the antecedents, love the words. From ELFM. Number 